Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I am happy to bring back uh, an old friend, Owen Strand, Dr. Owen Strand, uh, is got a new book out, The War on Men. He's a provost and research professor of theology at the Grace Bible Theolo uh, Theology Seminary and a senior, fel uh, senior fellow with the Family Research Council. We've uh, known each other for a while now, Owen, and uh, I'm glad to see you have a new book out. This is great news. Thank you, Ed. Thanks so much for having me on to talk about it. I appreciate it. So The War on Men. I mean, I think that anybody who's listening to this podcast is going to have a pretty good idea what you're uh, what you mean here. We hear a lot about things like toxic masculinity. We hear, you know, obviously the whole gender ideology thing is trying to completely demolish the idea of you know biological sex and uh, whatever roles are in, you know are are you know uh, adapted for those um, for those biological sexes. Um, you can make an argument there too that I think that there's a really there's almost a war on women at the same time that there's a war on men, which sounds odd, sure. but but I think that that's true, right, Owen? I don't think anybody knows what anything is anymore. That would be my quick summation of the problem, Ed. Uh, people don't know what a man is. People don't know what a woman is, and um, that's the way forces in our culture. That's the way the modern left sadly wants it. You've got, oh. um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. I mean, I think that this is sort of We've all become, well, not we and you and me, but as yeah. a culture, we've become Pontius Pilate. What is mm. true? I'm going to wash my hands of this. I mean, that, that to me is, is, you know, that's, that's, that is the thing that I reflect on mm -hmm. when I, when I see people say, well, there's no such thing as truth. What is truth? There's no such thing as truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the deal is the conversation over new, new atheism, for example, 20 years ago, might seem disconnected from where we are today, for example. You might think, oh, there's all this secularism or atheism or skepticism, however you want to frame that. And it's and now we're in this time where nobody knows what a man is or nobody knows what a woman is. Actually, the two are directly connected because if you give up on creation, if you give up on there being any stable sense of the cosmos, you're not going to be able to understand ultimately that um, there are men and there are women. Uh, this is a Christian book. It's a biblical book intentionally. And so I'm going to creation and I'm saying, God, there's there, there are men and there are women because God made them that way. He didn't just give them incidental biology, you know, with a few slight tweaks, but men and women are the same. No, he actually makes them distinct from one another. Uh, women have capacities men don't have, just to put that on public record. Men have capacities or, or callings that women don't have. A lot we share, but our culture says, our Marxist culture says, as you well know, Ed, anywhere there are differences in, you know, authority or leadership or something or capacity, there are inequities. And anywhere there are inequities, there are injustices. And what we have to say is that's absolutely not the case. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, fathers having leadership over their kids doesn't make them inherently oppressors of their kids. The governor of Arkansas having tons of political power that I don't have doesn't make her necessarily my oppressor. Um, but that's the way our culture thinks today. And that has helped to dynamite the very foundations of manhood and womanhood. Even the feminists today, fourth wave feminism has no idea what a woman is. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's insane. It's absolutely, it's, it's, I would say, um, definitionally insane. And so, you know, books like this, I think are, are a, a great way to approach this, right? So, uh, you know, the whole idea of a strong man now has become toxic itself. I mean, it's not even just toxic masculinity, there's strength in men. 
is considered toxic these days. And um, that has real world consequences. What happens when um, male strength is not just discounted, but penalized, attacked, and um, and um, disfavored? I mean, what, what are the outcomes of that? That is such a great question. And this is where, in a common grace sense, uh, Jordan Peterson has been, been such a good voice in our culture, because Peterson is really the one who has made the essential point that men need to be dangerous. When you say that, you don't mean men should go attack anybody within arm's reach, especially women and children. What Peterson means is that you should have strength under control so that you can defend people from evil men. Because, Ed, the deal is you can't niceify the world. You can't wish evil men away. Men on average have 50 to 60% more upper body strength than women. Men on average have two to 2,000 to 2,500% more testosterone than women. Men aren't worse sinners than women. Both men and women alike need the grace of God and Jesus Christ through his blood. But nonetheless, uh, men have an outsized capacity for damage. That's what all this means. Men can destroy things very quickly and uh, cause mayhem and chaos physically, emotionally, familially and otherwise. And so you, you've got to have the counterweight, right? You've got to have strong, good men uh, to go against strong, evil men. But here's the deal. When you tell um, good men that they are toxic for wanting to be a leader or wanting to be assertive or, or wanting to take responsibility in a, in a dire situation, what you're doing is you're not you're not you're not healing the world you're not healing the cosmos by taking away patriarchy and your very presence no what you are doing is making everything less safe less stable and more chaotic because now evil men are going to be all around you and there are going to be no strong men to step up and protect you and that's exactly where we are you know and, and this brings up a, a almost a, a theological point really um that i think gets very much misunderstood you know we read the gospels and we hear about you know, meekness, you know, that, uh, you know, blessed are the meek. Um, and meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. And Jesus makes this point, you know, uh, take my yoke upon you for I am meek. Um, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have power. It means that Jesus is putting aside his power to, for the benefit of the people who follow him, the men and women who follow him. And I think that the whole idea here that, you know, um, that meekness is weakness and that for some reason strength is bad. Mm -hmm. It may it may it may not even come out of a misreading the gospels. It may just be yeah, it may just be you know uh, something that people have come up with as a way to just justify whatever it is that they're trying to do, especially cultural Marxists. But mm -hmm. I think it is a common misunderstanding that comes out of the gospels and leads people down this path. And this, I think, is what you're getting at when you're talking about we need strong, dangerous men who are who have a, you know, a set of core values that allows them to channel this only when necessary and only in the cause of you know, um, public good. That's exactly right. Uh, our, our, culture, our culture, if I could speak English, does not understand <laughs> strength. We don't do that does... here, Owen. We, we don't speak English. We just kind of muddle along. Don't worry yeah, about that. Well, I'm joining the train then. Our culture does not understand just only a few things. It doesn't understand strength and it doesn't understand weakness. It doesn't understand meekness. It doesn't understand either side 
Um, and and so I'm sure that a good number of folks out there just hate, uh, you know, creation order. They hate the world as God has made it. They hate male headship as a concept and these sorts of things. I will say this too. I think others have been in bad situations. Some people out there, we have to account for this, have suffered under, you know, alcoholic fathers or something who raged out of control and that had terrible effects on them. And so I think there's a lot of that in our world where people are afraid of men being strong because they associate strong manhood with that, some form of that. And what I am trying to say in this book, The War on Men, is that that is not what we are calling for. We are calling for men who are fundamentally born again and made new by God's grace knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what that does to a man, though, is it doesn't stick a needle in his neck and extract all the testosterone. What it does is it rewires him. And it says, all right, I used to live for my own glory. I used to be selfish. I used to be out of control, violent, whatever it is, whatever. I used to be passive. There's a spectrum here. But what I'm now going to do is not live for myself. Now I'm going to live for others. And, And yes, now I'm going to gently hold you know, my daughter in in my arms and not think I'm not being a man for that or get on the floor and play tea parties with her. Uh, I'm going to be strength under control and, and I'm going to wrestle with my son in a controlled way. Um, being meek doesn't mean you evacuate yourself of strength. It doesn't mean that one bit. What it does mean is that your strength comes under control. And this has a this has a connection, by the way, Ed, to, to physical stuff, because men in a plastic, virtualized world like ours have been sold the lie that they don't need to cultivate physical discipline and physical strength. And this is why Jocko Willink and David Goggins and Cameron Haynes and so many other voices have gained major market share in recent years because men inherently don't want to be weak in any capacity. Men want to be strong. That's why they turn, by the way, in not a good way to Andrew Tate, because Andrew Tate projects this kind of kickboxer coiled intensity and strength. And there's a bit of a sense, I understand why, but what we need to do as Christian men is not seed the market or, or you know, God-fearing men seed the market to, to these outside voices. We need to say, no, when you when you are a strong man, your whole life is under control, but you're, you're uh, cultivating strength not weakness. Yeah, I, I want to s- stick with the family model because this begins and ends, I think, with the family model. Because you're right. A lot of people grew up in damaged house, you know, damaged families. A lot of yep. people are growing up in, you know, p- you know, families or households with no father at all now, which we're starting, you know, we, we, you know, we've been experiencing that for 50, 60 years and are seeing the consequences of that. Yep. But I mean, that is also a fundamental misunderstanding, right, of the Gospels. Well, not the Gospels, excuse me, but really Paul. And his his exhortation that men need to be the head of the household, but he's very specific about how that is, right? He, the head of the household as Jesus is the head of the church as a servant to the family, right? Mm. Again, strength, meekness channeled. Yeah. That strength is channeled in support of the family. And it's 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 yeah. this complementary vision of a man and a woman in a marriage. Which you know, for Paul is kind of unusual. Anyway, Paul was <laughs> Paul wasn't necessarily a, a fan of marriage in in some of his epistles, but but it was a complementary vision that these are two uh, people equal in dignity with different roles. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people will ch- chalk that up. Well, oh, that was the time, and you know, patriarchy, etc. But no, I mean, that's the model that works. And this is the reason why we get so confused about masculinity 
it starts in the home. It starts with that confusion in the home where yes. we no longer rec recognize equal dignity and complementarity. What we're looking for is, you know, uh, some sort of um, literally literal equality, which means that a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man, or yes. or that there's or that there's no difference, and we shouldn't even talk about complementarity anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and that's what cues us up for the disaster that we're in. You're right. Um, for Paul, singleness is a viable calling, a good calling. First uh, Corinthians seven. But marriage is literally a picture of the gospel of grace. It's Jesus uniting with his bride, the church, and and Christ is the head, the leader, the authority of his church, and the church submits to Christ. These are not ideas that our culture likes. Even to say them in in some Christian circles or conservative circles will put you in the penalty box. But we could, I could care less. What we need to do is speak what Scripture tells us to speak and believe what Scripture tells us to believe and know that Scripture isn't just right, it's good. And what that means is um, we are going to flourish, not when we play Plato and make humanity however we see fit and make marriage whatever we want it to be. But when we receive God's design, when we see God's design as good, and that entails understanding yourself not as your own little divinized being as in pagan thought, but understanding yourself as a creature. You are nothing but a creature. You will never not be a creature. You are always a subject of God. You cannot be otherwise. But man hates that ideology. We naturally in our sinful state, all of us in some form, hate the idea that we can't be God. We can't be in charge. So that applies to manhood and womanhood in that God has given us a body and that body tells us who we are. But our society, which has rejected God as creator, which has rejected Genesis 1 through 11 as actual scripture, as actual history, now tells us that it, we should reject manhood and womanhood as God-given concepts. And that's why we're in the chaos that we are in. But we find we can offer the world, here's the good news, we can offer the world the joy of clarity and, and, and the hope of the gospel, even in the midst of the, this chaos today. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I've made the point over and over again that a lot of this just goes right back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve deciding that they knew better than God what good and evil was or wanted to know better than God what good and evil was and wanted to run things. That's original sin. And we see this it's a pattern that repeats all throughout human history, um, yes. pattern that the prophets keep warning about and Jesus kept warning about. And it's uh, it's, it's probably worse today than it's been in a long time, mm -hmm. you know, and Believe me, I, we could do this for a half an hour, but I want to get to some of the other points in your book because I want yeah. to be, make sure that people know what's coming up in the war on men. I also want to make sure that people know where to get it. We'll get to that in a minute. But mm. so in your book, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you see as some of the common misconceptions of masculinity. I think we've already been kind of talking about some of these. Uh, the common misconceptions about masculinity, especially applied masculinity in culture, you know, previous and today? Well, people think when you call for strong manhood, you're calling men to be these peacocks, you know, thrusting out their chest and the kind of Andrew Tate vision of the world where you just take, take, take. You've got a harem of women behind you. You've got a fleet of Bugattis and Ferraris behind you on the other side. And, and the world is just falling at your feet. You do whatever you want. You get whatever you desire. And that's not at all what we're calling for as strong manhood. We're calling actually men to die to themselves and live in Jesus Christ and then be a man for others. 
And what that means um, when you go to scripture is you see a, a man in Judges 13 to 16, like Samson. Samson was the Andrew Tate of his day. Samson went out and got whatever he wanted. Samson saw a beautiful woman and literally went and grabbed her. <laughs> Samson did not care about codes of holiness. He didn't care about his God-given identity as a Nazarite. He just did whatever he wanted. And that is a vision of the masculine fantasy that plays in the heart of every man at some level. To have the world at your feet and just go and get whatever your passions say to get. And what we're not saying in, in our vision of manhood and what I'm not saying in this book, The War on Men, is that that's what I stand for. I stand for something very different. Uh, a strong man, again, is a man for others. He's a man who lives to strengthen uh, his children, invest in his children. He's a man who doesn't have a perfect marriage, but he tries to love his wife. He's a man who tries to lead his wife well. He has genuine decision-making authority in the home and that sort of thing, but he doesn't use that for his own good. He tries to use it as best he can, repenting all the way for the good of his, of, of his loved ones. He's a man who builds a vocation. He's a man who doesn't just go to a job and whine about it, but he actually enjoys. He finds God's pleasure, to quote Eric Little, in the movie Chariots of Fire, in the vocation God has given. He tries to serve a church. He may not have a leadership role or, or he may, it doesn't matter. He tries to show his kids that serving the church matters and going to church matters and sitting under the word of God matters. Um, he's a man who tries to evangelize. He's a man who tries to steward his body, make his body stronger than it could be otherwise. A lot of us are not WWE power lifters, but nonetheless, we can try to cultivate our body and not just embrace this passive vision of manhood where all we do is consume junk food and not steward ourselves. So in all these ways, we're calling men to be strong. We're not the strong ones, though, ultimately. God is the strong one, 1 Corinthians 9. We're the weak one, but God makes us strong. Uh, David says to Solomon, last thing I'll say, uh, be strong and show yourself a man. First Kings 2, 2. And that's what we're calling men to. Right. Right. Exactly. Now, what are we calling women to? Because I know you address this in the book. And, yeah. and this, this book, obviously, the war on men probably will appeal to men, especially men who feel, you know, a bit beleaguered in this society, very lost, not understanding what, you know, if there are any cultural you know, expectations of them uh, outside of what we can find in the structure of, you know, Christianity. Um, but what do you say to women here? Because I mean, women, are, <laughs> women are participants in this. I mean, men and yes. women get together to form families and that choice is important. How the family operates is important. And, and believe me, <laughs> I'm a married man. I can tell you that the woman has a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How masculine you are. A woman's got a lot to say about that. Oh, yeah. And marriage marriage is not this uh, dictatorship, you know, even if you believe in male headship, you know, as I clearly do from scripture, it's, it's very much uh, your wife is your helper. Uh, that's how she's described in Genesis 2. Not, you're not going to find that on the cover of Fortune magazine as a, as a headline or something like that um, in a girl boss culture. But what you are going to find in scripture is the woman's role um, showing helper actually is not at all what the feminists say it is. Helper is not a demeaning term. It's the complete opposite. It's the most counter uh, demeaning term you could imagine because it says that the woman has skills and abilities and strength and wisdom to bring to the table that her, her man, her husband needs. It's saying it's the complete opposite of alpha loner uh, manhood where you know, the man, maybe he is married, but he sh he shrugs her off 
And he just makes, he goes through life making all his own decisions and he doesn't even need a word uh, from his wife. No, he wouldn't even dare to think of it. He's so strong. That's not at all the biblical vision. You look at Proverbs 31, the heart of her husband trusting her, this archetypal godly woman who's busy in all sorts of spheres, the, the husband's heart trusts in her. Proverbs 31, 11. It's the opposite of this embattled egalitarian vision of marriage where the sexes are trying to be the same and have all the same roles. No, in the Bible, the man is called to be a leader, protector, and provider. The woman loves that, supports that by God's grace as God works in her heart. That can be a journey for women. But then that doesn't mean the woman sits there in the corner with nothing to do. The woman in Proverbs 31 is doing all sorts of things. She's industrious. She's looking to the good of her household. She's leading servants. She's buying a field. She's making food. She's making clothing. She All, all that vocation is glorious. So actually the war on men, this book, as it points to scripture, I have no wisdom in myself, as it points to the wisdom of God, I think will actually be a tremendous encouragement to women. When I have delivered forms of this content that we're talking about here to churches, women haven't um, come up and, you know, given me a uh, slap on the, on the cheek. They have come up and said, thank you for this. Not, not, not that you are some guru, but that you're pointing men to be strong in Christ and to die to self and repent of sin. Women are women are not seeing a lot of that in broader culture. That's not how men are portrayed. Women want men to be strong. At least a lot of women do. There's a struggle with submission, of course, that can happen. But fundamentally, women, most women, want many women innately by their wiring, want a man to be strong for them. You think about that song from like 30 years ago, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? I saw a TikTok recently where uh, this modern feminist was saying, basically, I want a man who is not conservative in his thinking, but is conservative in his practices. In other words, protects me, provides for me at some level, um, right. helps me. So modern women are very confused. I pray this book can help them. And I think it will uh, find a vision for, for the men they, they truly want. Well, I think it gets back to looking at what's important, prioritizing what's important when you're looking for a, a life partner, right? Um, when you're looking for somebody who you can build a family with, what you want is somebody, and this is true of both men and women, you want somebody who understands that dynamic, who understands what is actually important. Um, and, and certainly in, in, in Christ and in Christianity, what's important there, but also fundamentally what works, because clearly the alternative vision that the culture has been offering for the last 60 plus years doesn't work. It mm -hmm. is culturally ca uh, catastrophic, Owen. Oh. And, and I mean, we've been 60 years into this, you know, into this, this phase of the sexual revolution and there's no end in sight to the destruction that we're doing. Now we're, we're basically taking an entire generation of children and neutering them. I mean, yes. I guess that's great if you are into, you know, population control, but we're ruining an entire generation of children by completely confusing them about, about sexual identity, and then uh, either doing surgery or, or giving them drugs to turn them into medical cases for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And then giving them indoctrination to, to reference this to manhood, to go against their, their wiring. Yes. Boys want to be strong. They want to be brave. They want to prove their manhood. First Kings 2.2, be strong and show yourself a man. That speaks to God's call. And it also speaks to the wiring of a man. Men don't watch movies 
um, about other men who sit in a subway station for eight hours and do nothing. Men watch movies about heroes. They watch them because we have an innate wiring for action. Our brains literally crave action. I talk about this in The War on Men because nobody talks about the physiology of men outside of a few voices today. But you've got to understand something of the wiring of men. Um, but men want men are watching those movies because they want to be strong. They want to be called to become something greater. Most of us are not going to become some gladiator on the world stage in physical terms. But we can be a stronger man than we are. But when you tell boys, no, don't be that way. Don't be that way. Be like a girl. You have already hijacked them. You have already crashed the train. Now they don't know who they are. Now what they're being fed, what they're being indoctrinated to believe goes against who they innately are. And that's where so many boys are. And it's the same for women. So many women have a nurturing capacity. They have these giftings. They have these capabilities. They they many of them are still have have a desire to have children or a family in some form and and yet our culture is saying no don't do that you don't you, that's not where you're going to find fulfillment you've got to prove your worth you've got to earn a paycheck you've got to leave home and family and nurture that's terrible that's all from patriarchy and and so there's that wiring that god has given going against the indoctrination in both sexes and that's why we have a tremendous market opportunity ed to just bring people the wisdom and truth and grace of God and say, as you said a minute ago, this is so much better than what the culture is selling. Uh, this is going to fulfill you. This is going to give you great joy in Christ. And frankly, if you're a Christian, you operate under the Great Commission. This is what you're called to do is to, is to, is to offer this truth. And it doesn't mean that you have to go beat down every single door that there is, right. but you have to. we have to be talking about this. And this is why the war on men, I think one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the war on men is um is relevant and is necessary in order to make that uh, that pitch but even if you're not inclined to embrace the theological aspects of owen's argument here there is no debating the the practical outcomes that have resulted from the opposite uh, from from you know following original sin down the path to you know down the primrose path we were seeing the the damage all around us. And um, and this is something that we can correct. This is not something that has to be our doom. We don't have to fall all the way down the shaft. Um, we can correct this with the truth. So the war on men is uh, coming out, um, uh, is coming out next week, right? October 3rd is the release yeah. date for the war on men. That's right. That's exactly right. It's coming out October 3rd. It's, it's at Amazon. It's at uh, Barnes and Noble. It's at Christian Book Distributors. Wherever you go, and what you said a minute ago was so was so helpful, Ed, um, because there are people uh, you have you have a big audience, and not everybody's going to be an evangelical Christian like I am. Um, so it's it's important to say not everybody's going to agree with some of the stuff I've said. But here's a good litmus test for today: uh, your audience and people beyond it, just engaging people. Ask them: Do they support men going into girls' restrooms? Do they support that? Is that a good thing? Is that, hey, let's use let's use the left's terminology, shall we? Let's be generous and spirit. Is that progress? Um, I think that's one of those little litmus tests mm -hmm. that if you actually push it, if you scratch it, um, will actually start conversations that can be domino effects where people say, okay, I'm not fully confident <laughs> that that is a good thing. And that then 
leads into this full full blown discussion about why, um, because there's an innate witness of conscience that remains Ed even in 2023, even in the madness, even if someone's not a, a Christian, um, where they can say this is not good, this is a bridge too far, and and those are wonderful moments culturally where people start to wake up to the ideology and the madness that is taking them captive. Well, Owen, I'm glad that you wrote the book. I'm glad it's coming out. I look forward to reading it. Um, and uh, and I think that this is, maybe we've come to a cultural moment where people are now gonna open themselves up to hear this because I think that most people are looking at this, like you just said and said, this is ridiculous. This is insanity. It's absolute yeah. insanity. And we need a different vision. And we need the vision that we had before. We need the Christian vision of, uh, of masculinity, femininity, and, and complementarity and equal dignity mm -hmm. uh, while residing in truth. And that's, yes. the, that's the thing is that we get back to Pontius Pilate. What is truth? Well, there is a truth. Yes. We, just have to, we just have to admit it, recognize it, and form ourselves to it. And yes. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you just sorry, you got you woke my brain up the, the other sector of my brain. I mean, you, you recognize we have truth to offer people. We're not in the bad position. We're in the good position. And John 117, we have grace and truth, grace and truth. And that's where, Ed, that's the last part of the book. The last thing I'll say is because uh, I know we got to go. There's a lot of men who aren't in ideal circumstances who are going to hear this podcast their marriage isn't in a great place. They might be divorced. They're, they might have fractured relationships with their kids, or they might just struggle to connect with their kids. Their job may not be fulfilling. Uh, they may not be connected to the church. There may be porn addiction in their life. There, there's lots of things we can say. So, so real men out there are really struggling, including men listening to this. And, and, and women listening to this, by the way, are not cut off from that because women are affected by the deep struggles of men. And what I just want to be heard overall is saying that the men's gurus don't say uh, that the manosphere is not going to give you. And this is the one thing that men most need. They need truth. And right alongside that, they need grace. So I'm not calling men to embrace a kind of new Sparta and just be a better stoic today or something like this. There's voices out there who have some good things to say along those lines, but that's not going to get the job done. We ultimately need the healing, transforming, forgiving grace of God. That's what men most need. And it's right there. It's available. And it's available, by the way, in the Bible. It's available in scripture, but it's also available in The War on Men by Dr. Owen Strand, which is, again, coming out on October 3rd. You can... I will say this, you can go over to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and pre-order it. That's super important. Those early pre-orders make a huge amount of difference in the kind of splash that this book will make when it releases. So if you're inclined to do this, get over there, get it done, because that is what will help propel this book up the charts. And it was, it will make people sit up and take notice of it. Um, that's the type of thing that Sometimes people don't don't grasp. They well, I'll just walk in and buy it, which is fine. If you're inclined to do that, you should do that. But really, honestly, if you if you believe in what um, Owen is saying in this book, The War on Men, what we've been talking about right here, you need to go over to Amazon and pre-order. And um, and I'm sure because I've read Owen's other books, you're going to be very glad that you did. So there, oh. Dr. Owen Strand, thank you so much for being with us, and best of luck on this. Can't wait to get back here and talk to you about this some more. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for your great interview. 